0: Welcome to the gathering at Adel. Today's message is from Matthew chapter fifteen. We're going to look at the story where Jesus fed the four thousand. Today, if you want to turn with me, we've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew together. Uh, I don't know, since about the time we started, it feels like we've been in it for a long time. It's been phenomenal. Like each week, I think, all right, let's do two chapters this week. And then I'll look at the two chapters ahead, and I'm like, man, there's just no way that I can do the word justice if we try to cover two. So well, right now we're in Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be in verses 32 through 39. It's uh, titled The Feeding of the 4,000. The key verse here is going to be verse number 32, kind of starting off. It says, Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. Otherwise, they might collapse on the way. Jesus said, I have compassion on them. The the main theme for today, it says that when Jesus was moved with compassion, he was moved into action. Side note to, hey, Jocelyn, I meant to tell you on Wednesday, so we had a worship night on Wednesday night, and this is like an affirmation of the gift that the Lord has placed in you. Like, hour and 45 minutes of worship Wednesday night. It was phenomenal. Hope you guys were here. If y'all weren't, there'll be more. But Jocelyn, like, I mean, there'd be times where I'm like, okay, we sang a long time. And then I'll look over and Jocelyn's still going. Never gave it. She sang and she worshiped. And so I just want to affirm that gifting in you, like, great job. Thank you for coming, participating, and giving it all to the Lord. So we love you for that. I meant to tell you on Wednesday, but I saw you today and I said, here you go. Uh, When Jesus was moved with compassion, he was moved into action. And when you have this this story of like Jesus had to act, he said, we've got to get them food because if we send them on their journey, they're not going to make it. They're going to collapse on the way. There was a time, uh, I've I've gone to Honduras maybe like five times. My brother is a full-time missionary in Honduras. They've been there 12 years, I believe, 11, maybe 12, but they've been there quite a while. And we would go down and I would take a group of youth students down there and we would do different uh, projects and different ways to minister and partner with them. And it was a it was honestly so much fun. We really enjoyed it. I mean, as much fun as you can have in a third world country, you know, not sleeping in your own bed or all that stuff. So, uh, but it was fun. After about like the third year, you know, he had taken me to all the touristy places to eat that were safe and allowable for the Americans to to come there and eat. On the, the fourth year, I, I actually it might've been the fifth. It might've been the last year we, we went, which is probably a good thing, but we went and I was like, okay, hey man, take me to like the places. He's like, dude, we don't even eat at those places. I'm like, I know, man. I just wanted to like, I want to, I want to experience it. And I, and uh, he's like, okay, man, whatever. This isn't not a good idea. So you know, we're out ministering and uh, we come. We we had like half a day off, and so we were like, all right, let's go eat somewhere. And then we're just gonna go do a little shopping. Uh, at this place, and then we're going to start getting, we were going to play uh, the Hondurans in soccer, they had like a big city park, once again, another bad idea, I made several bad decisions on this trip, they demolished us, but so we we were shopping, and we had things that we would pass out to like, say, hey, the, the, the North Americans are coming, you know, you got to be careful, you can't call yourself Americans there, because they are Americans, so we're North Americans, they're Central Americans, they get really offended, so we'd say, hey, the North Americans are challenged, and anybody that wants to play a game of soccer will be in the, park at eight o'clock at night, you know? And, uh, so we, we stopped and we were going to eat somewhere. And man, this place had like, it would be the equivalent of chicken and beef fajitas here, but it's really not the same. And man, we pull up to the, the restaurant and it's all outdoor eating. And the guys are there. They're from, they're from the coast of Honduras and they're, they've got like this Griddle type thing, and they they are slinging this stuff, man. That's it, like, yeah, that's what I wanted, man. You've been taking me to this other stuff. That's what I wanted. He's like, okay, and he went and ate somewhere else. I was like, dude, that looks so good. And uh, there were, I think there were like fifteen or twenty of us on this trip, and I mean, we're sitting there having a good time. You know, it's been a long day, and uh, we we ordered the chicken fajitas and. and The bad part is like once we began to eat, we saw where like the chicken was just like in a bucket, like no ice or anything like all day. And it's like three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, like it's just sitting out, but you don't really tell that until, you know, if you don't see it on the griddle, you're like, dude, that's the best looking chicken I've ever seen, you know? And now it's like, we ate and it was like, man, that was glorious. And after we eat, you know, that's when we were walking away and we saw like, oh, that was the chicken just sitting out all day. No ice, no covering. Man, about two hours later, we're walking, doing some tourist shopping stuff before we get ready to play soccer that evening. And man, uh, something hit. You know, like, I mean, like, like, white face, like, hmm. And I... I had sent the kids away. They were doing some travel. I was, I was by myself. And I was like, man, this is not, you know, you're, you're in a foreign country. And you're like, man, this isn't good. This is not going to be good. And I had a truck and I was like, all right. I rounded up like three people and I made it, I made it seem like the other person was because they, they were not doing well. Either. I was like, Hey, why don't we go back to the apartment real fed the hotel that way you can get some ibuprofen and stuff. She's like, oh, that's a great idea. Thank you. I was like, yeah, thanks. So, man, uh, we hop in the truck, you know, and, and I leave everybody there. Like, this is, that's, we had, we had more adults, so don't worry. My brother's there. Don't judge me on this. But, you know, when, when it happens, it's like, man, this is, this is for real. And so, I leave everybody there. Me, I think Ben came with me and uh, two other people. And I was like, dude, we just got to get back to the hotel. And, like a five minute ride we get to the hotel and the hotel is like from here to the fellowship hall like the walk and it's like man I don't know I don't know about this you know you get out and I just I leave everybody there I'm like man I gotta go and I'm going I'm, I'm walking as fast as I can got my backpack on and I go to get the door and it's locked and Ben in charge of the key is all the way back over there so I'm like, oh, man. So, you know, you, you turn around just like that, and, man, you're like, okay, here we go. Whew, just nice and easy. Pace yourself. We've been there. Don't don't judge me. You get there. I'm like, Ben, let me have the key. He's like, okay. I'm like, okay. Here we go. Hmm. And I'm walking, and there's a tree branch, a oh, tree root sticking up my eye is on that door. I, I've got the key out and I'm like this ready to go. I'm still this far from it, but I've got that key right level ready to go and just, and I'm walking like this and I hit that brand, that, that tree root and it's like, ooh, mm, okay, I'm good. Get there, made it safely. It was a very rough uh, trip, sweats, white face and man, it's, it, it's this idea that this word compassion means to be moved from the bowels. When Jesus said, I have compassion on the crowd, it, it's not like this, oh man, look at those people. I feel so bad for them. What are they gonna do? It, it's this, this idea that that my bowels are yearning because of where they are and I can't not do something. And so That moment of, "Mm, man, I can't not do something. It's going to happen. That's that same feeling, that same sense of urgency that has to come upon us when we're talking about compassion. Compassion doesn't mean, oh, look at that poor little thing, not going to make it. They're, They're hungry. It means, man, I see you, and my heart burns for you. My bowels are yearning to do something. I can't just sit by and do that, but Long story to tell you that, funny story, but that's what that compassion means, is to to yearn from within. So when Jesus says, I saw them and I had compassion on them, his body yearned. The the Jews, they they thought that the, the bowels were the, housed, housed like love and pity. So that's why that word is used right there on that to mean from the bowels. And you've probably experienced that, maybe not that, but you've probably experienced that, that feeling, that urge, that sense of like, man, I got to do something. You know, have you ever been, we were at a football game Uh, a couple weeks ago. And there's, there's a little boy wandering around that we know he was from our town, but he was nowhere near his mom. And like, bro, what what are you doing, man? Like you're supposed to be over there. And he's, he's Penny's age. Penny is four. Yes. Four. She's four. Uh, And so you're like, man, I just no. you got to go back. He's like, no, my mom knows where I am. I'm like, I don't really think so, man. And Penny's like, no, his mom doesn't. I'm like, okay, come on, But You know, it's, it's that sense of urgency, like I can't see that kid and not do something. It, you, you see someone on the side of the road and, and hopefully that's, that's what stirs up inside of you and not like, oh man, it sucks to be you. Hopefully there's that, like this, this sense of urgency. You see someone stranded on the side of the road that goes, man, how can I possibly drive by and not do something? We were coming home from a, a trip uh, in Colorado, me and Ben. Uh, there was a couple of people. Do you remember this story? We passed by. The, we, at first, we passed by somebody. I think Josh is with me uh, over here. And we passed by a lady on the side of the road. And we we're like, hmm, man, should we stop? You know, you're always like, oh, should we? But we knew that we needed to. And uh, someone, the person behind us called. and I'm like, hey, man, I think we're supposed to stop. I'm like, oh, yes, I knew we were. Okay. We turn around, yeah, traveling from who knows where, with a dog, car packed up, you know, boyfriends left her, she's fleeing, going all the way across country, has a flat tire, got to wait six hours for AAA to get there, you know, and so we were able to just stop, change a tire for her, get her on her way, uh, get her Venmo, send her some money. Thank goodness for technology, right? Like, hey, what's your Venmo? Here's Venmo money, go take care of it. But, but there's that sense of urgency, When we see situations that go, man, I just, I'm not okay being okay with that. I know sometimes like, you know, you're in line at a grocery store and people have problems with debit cards and this and not working and it can be so frustrating. And people behind her are frustrated. People behind them are frustrated. But what wells up inside of me is like... uh, not a, come on, man, I've got places to go, hurry up. I did it just the other day at Sam's. Uh, uh, Hispanic people, they they were having trouble even speaking English and they couldn't figure out and their, their debit card wasn't working. And there's somebody, two people in front of me behind them and they're just like, what's going on? What's wrong, you know? And like what's inside of me was not like, man, what is this person doing? Go back to your own country, you know, Not not at all in me. And I said, hey, you know what? Here, I just, hey, let me get by you. I, I didn't even look at the total. I said, here you go. Swipe my card. And they're like, what just happened? Like, ha- compassion is this idea that we cannot just be okay with things happening around us and just not do anything. Yeah. Yeah. You see someone walking with their hands full to a door. What, what, what do we do? Like, we drop whatever we do and we go open the door because that's, that's compassion. And we look at that, that feeling inside of you, that stirring, And and here's a definition for compassion. It says, Compassion is a sympathetic awareness to the needs of those around us combined with a desire to intervene. Compassion is a sympathetic awareness to the needs of those around us combined with a desire to intervene. We're gonna read through Matthew chapter 15 verses 32 through 39 and we're gonna see how, how that leads us to our message today. It should be up on the screen. Clinton's always faster than me. He's got it. You ready? Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. Otherwise they might collapse on the way. The disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in this desolate place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked seven and a few small fish. After commanding the crowd to sit down, he took the seven loaves of the, and the fish, gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. They collected the leftover pieces, seven large baskets full. Now there were 4,000 men who had eaten besides women and children. And after dismissing the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's just as much true today as it was back then. Thank you that, Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Father, we just submit to you this time. We we submit to you our hearts. Teach us, lead us, and guide us into all truth, all understanding. Amen. Amen. A couple of uh, points before we get into the message about this. Like I said, we've been studying uh, this whole week on that, and so there's... Obviously, there's quite a bit that can come out, but what, one of the things that I just enjoy is, you know, it's the feeding of the 4,000, and, and just like a chapter back, it was the feeding of the 5,000, it, and at first glance, you can be like, well, what, why this, what's it, like, why five, why four, what's the difference, what's the big deal about that, and, and really, when you look at when Jesus fed the 5,000, he, it was a Jewish audience, And, you know, right after that, then that's where where our message picked up last week was how Jesus walked on water. He fed the 5,000, he walked on water, and then he continued on his journey. And actually, Jesus left from there, and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, like up by the coast, and then he actually loops all the way back around, kind of where he was, and he comes to this place where we are today, and it's a a place called Decapolis. It was a 10-city region that was a Gentile audience, 5,000 was with Jews, and this 4,000 was with a Gentile audience. What, he, what he's trying to establish here, why is this one so important? Why did the disciples, why, why did Matthew and Mark think to include this into their gospels? Well, because they, they made a point to say that Jesus is not only the Lord of the Jews, like his chosen people, that's what it was, but now he's the Lord of the Gentiles, which I'm gonna assume is most of us in this place, maybe all of us, unless there's a full Jew here, right? Like, I I think it's all of us. He, He came to be Lord of the Jews and Lord of the Gentiles. That's why this one's important, because Jesus was establishing his ministry, because it says that he first came to the Jews, then he came to the Gentiles, this, this is important. I mean, the story right before this, if you were reading with us this week, is even where the, the Gentile woman comes to him, and she's begging him. And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, do you want us to get rid of her? Like, is she bothering you? Is she cool? Like, what's going on? And Jesus is like, no, let her go, you know. And, like, she comes and begs, She's like, hey, what, would you just come and heal my daughter? And he's like, man, I only came for the Jews. And like that that's the that's the master's bread, like it's not for you guys. And she said, Oh, please, please just give me something. And he said, he said, no. And she said, Well, even masters throw breadcrumbs to their dogs. And he said, Your faith woman has healed your daughter. Like, Jesus is establishing that through the miracles that he is now Lord of everything. Lord of everything and of everyone. There's seven loaves of bread and a few fish. The people ate and were satisfied. 4,000 men, besides women and children, ate seven loaves of bread and a few fish. They they ate and they were satisfied. And what's interesting, it says that there were seven large baskets left over. If you think back to the feeding of the 5,000, it says that there were 12 baskets left over. It's a, it's a completely different word. Same writer, Matthew. He was at both places, but he used a different word for those baskets and these baskets. When he fed the 5,000, there were 12 smaller baskets left over of food. They say that symbolizes the, the 12 tri- tribes of Israel. But here, there there were seven large baskets left over. Now, when I say a large basket, the Greek word right there is the same word that they use in Acts chapter nine, verse 25, when it says that Paul was in a large basket and he was lowered down. So there there are seven baskets Large baskets. I don't know how big of a man Paul was. I would assume he's an average height guy, average weight guy, maybe a little skinnier. He has been starved and beaten and thrown in prison, maybe a little skinnier, but he still fits into a large basket. And they had seven of those left over. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, yeah, that's cool, and we just move on. Like seven leftover large baskets. To fit a man, seven of those were left over. What a miracle that is. The crowd was already with Jesus for three days, and now they had nothing to eat. Jesus had compassion on them, and compassion will always lead us to action. Sympathy, pity, embarrassment for them, our fear, our doubt, our unbelief will always lead us to inaction. We can always rationalize ourselves out of helping somebody. Have you noticed that? You see somebody on the side of the road. You see somebody eating lunch by themselves. You see somebody struggling with that. You see a kid wandering where they shouldn't be. We can always rationalize ourselves out of it. We can say, I'm too busy, I'm too tired. I don't have the money to do that. Oh, surely they'll figure it out on their own. They probably have the money anyways. This is just a scam. I see them at all the different places asking for money. I'm not gonna do that. We can always rationalize ourselves out of it, but compassion will always lead you to action. That word occurs in the New Testament when it's talking about Jesus in the four Gospels like 12 times. Every time we see that Jesus had compassion, he was moved into action. Matthew chapter nine, it says that he had compassion on the sick, the diseased, the distressed. He says that they were like sheep without a shepherd and he stayed among the people and he healed them of every sickness and every disease. It says that he was moved with compassion and so he healed them, he delivered them. There were two blind men in Matthew 20. They cried out, Lord, heal us. And it says that Jesus looked at them and had compassion and he healed them. There was a man with leprosy in Mark chapter 1. It says Jesus looked at the man, had compassion on him, and healed him. The, the feeding of the 5,000, of the 4,000, it says that he had compassion on them and he did something about it. Luke chapter 7, it, it says that he had compassion on a widow and her dead son. Like, th- this is an incredible story. Their, their dead son. They're walking into the, for the funeral, you know, having the procession. And Jesus had compassion on him and her, reached out, touched his hand, and it was healed instantly. I mean, what? And somehow we think that that's not available to us today. Somehow we we read those and we're like, man, that's really cool for them back there. But there's no way that that could happen today. It can and It does. I mean we we see it all the time. And and, and you can say, well, oh, th- that's happened in Africa. That's happened in, in China. That's happened in Afghanistan. Yeah, you want know I me mean? you want me to tell you where the three regions that have the fastest growing churches are? Africa, China, Afghanistan. You want me to tell you where the church is on decline? Right here. <laughs> so can it happen here? Yes. Does it happen here? Yes. Why does it not happen here more? Because we can live on one good miracle for many years. If one person today got healed, we could talk about that for five years. Remember that time that that person... But when you're in Afghanistan, when you're in China, when you're in Africa... You need him right now, I need a miracle tomorrow, I need a miracle the next day, I need a miracle the next day and they believe it, they seek it and they pray for it and it happens. We become so complacent with our American Christianity that we don't desire the things of uh, the miracles because we can take care of it ourselves. Oh, if we need more money, we'll just go get a credit card. We'll go get a loan, right? If we, need any, if we need more groceries, well, we can just go down to 19,000 different grocery stores and take care of it. If we don't have money for that, the government will give it to us, right? I don't have a job, they'll take care of us. Oh, I can call 19 churches in Parker County and I can have it all taken care of. Like We don't see the miracles happening here because we're not desperate to see the miracles happen here. When Jesus was moved with compassion, he was moved into action. Not one time do we see where Jesus was moved in with compassion that he didn't intervene. Not one time, not one time did did Jesus say, oh, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm sleepy, I can't do that, I'm supposed to be in the next town, oh, I don't don't have a home, I don't have this, I don't have that, I can't do that, I don't wanna do that. Never once do we see that. When he had compassion on somebody, he intervened. Even they're asking him about it and that's where the story of the good Samaritan comes from. He's like, hey, what's the greatest command? And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, okay, what else, what else do I have to do? He's like, well, what, what do you mean by neighbor? Love, love your neighbor as yourself? Like, do you want me to, this is the guy talking to Jesus that says that he's a lawyer and like looking for a loophole. And he says, so, okay, I can do that, but who is my neighbor? And I'll, I'll take care of that. And Jesus said, well, there was a man that was beaten robbed, stripped of his clothes, left for dead. It says that first a priest walked by and avoided him. Then a a Levi walked by him, nothing. He said, but there was a Samaritan man that, that came up and that picked him up, that gave him clothing, that bandaged his wounds, took him to an inn and said, hey, I'll be back in three days, take care of him, whatever he needs. I'm good for it. And Jesus said, That's your neighbor. Go and do that. We're too busy looking for loopholes. We're too busy making excuses. We're too busy reasoning ourselves out of it. But we're to act, we're to love, and we're to intervene. I mean, like, Jesus modeled it and God commanded it. Yet we are perfectly okay walking by those in need and not offering help the world is wasting away and the church is singing, I'll fly away. We're so ready to leave this earth, but God, God hasn't called you home yet. Like, like we, we are so in our own little world. There's so much need around us And we're in our own little world, worried about our own little problems, singing, I'll fly away like I just can't wait till Jesus comes and takes me away and saves me from this place. We would rather post on social media how much God loves them than to actually show them. We'd rather stand up in pulpits and talk about it. We would rather sing songs about it instead of just getting down to the nitty-gritty and doing the work with them. I mean, we would rather just pass on by that person who's asking for money because, man, their poor choices, poor diet has led them to that place instead of saying, man, how can I help you today? And we can take it one step further and say, no, 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 Jeff, you're not talking about me because I give them $5. I give them $10, whatever I've got, I give it to them. But when's the last time that you said, hey, would you like to come to my house and have a meal with my family? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you should see the looks I'm getting right now. $5 Five dollars will get them a meal. We'll get them food, but it won't get them love from the Father. They won't hear the gospel from by you handing them five dollars but if they if you bring them into the to your house, they sit at your table, they take a shower in your house. Yes, they're around your kids, but they get a meal. They get to experience the love of God, and then you say, "Where can I take you now? Do you need to go a place? Do you have family that you need to get to?" I mean, I've driven a guy to Oklahoma. I've driven a guy to Arkansas. Like I've driven a guy down to Houston to go get papers that didn't actually exist, so whatever on that. Like, it doesn't always work out where it's like, that's great, hey, if you just take me to Houston, I've got my birth certificate down there. Let's do it. And we get down there, I'm like, all right, where where do you want to go? He's like, oh, you can just drop me off over here. Awesome. But it's conversations that the enemy cannot ever snatch away. Compassion will move us into action. We're going to get it. Here we go. All right, here we go. Here, how does this apply to us? Verse 33, it says, the disciple said to him, where would we get enough bread in this desolate place to feed such a crowd? And I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is bigger than anything we face. Where are we gonna get enough bread in this desolate place, in this wilderness, in this desert? Where, where, are we going to, where, where is this gonna happen? Jesus, just tell me. And I'm here to tell you that he's bigger than anything that you're gonna to face today. He, he created all of this, all that we see, out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. We're wondering if Jesus can pay our electric bill and he spoke this into existence. He delivered his people out of slavery. He parted the Red Sea. He rained down manna from heaven for 40 years. He, he parted the Jordan so that, they go, so that they could go into their promised land that was flowing with milk and honey. He, he defeated every enemy that was in the promised land so that they could inherit their possession. The walls of Jericho fell, not because of a band, and they marched around it, but because Jesus is bigger than anything they can face. There was an army, 185,000 men that had come up against the Israelites. And in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord slaughtered them. And you're worried if you have gas to get home today. He's bigger than anything that you're going to face. He's bigger than anything that I'm going to face. And it doesn't negate it. It doesn't minimize it. It doesn't mean you're silly for worrying about that stuff. But what I'm saying is in these moments, these are the times that we run to him. He walked on this earth. He was born of a virgin Mary. He, was, he walked on this earth without sin. He overcame sin, sickness. He overcame death. He was crucified, buried, raised from the dead on the third day. He rose from the dead. And you're worried because your kid has jacked up teeth and you don't know how to pay for braces. He, he was dead and he was alive. He says, I'm the alpha and the omega. I was dead, but I was alive and I have overcome death. And we're worried because worried our boss doesn't like us. We're worried because we're gonna get passed over for the promotion. We're worried because our car is broke down. He's bigger, he's more powerful, he's more creative, he is for you, he is not against you. No matter what you are facing, Jesus is enough. Plain and simple. It it sounds like, man, that's just too easy. What do you mean? Like I'm just gonna sit by the mailbox and Jesus is gonna give me a check? Man, I don't know, but it's happened. He is able to do it. Number two, Jesus brings abundance From little. He says, How many loaves do you have? And Jesus asked, Jesus asked, and they said, Seven and a few small fish. And Jesus didn't go, hmm. What are we gonna do on that? It says, after he told him that, he said, All right, hey, everybody sit down. Sit down, we're gonna do something. He is able to bring abundance from little. Jesus is not concerned with how much we give, but it's the place that we give from. There's a story in Luke chapter 21. We can see how quick Clinton is because I'm going to flip and read it. I'm going to try to beat him. Luke chapter 21, verse one. It says, "He looked up, and he saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury, and he also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins." Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all that she has to live on. It's not about how much you give. It's about the place that you give from. And I'm not talking about money. This is not a sermon about money. I promise you that. But when we talk about giving, it's, it's a giving of our time and our talents and our treasure. It, it's giving space for him to use us. It's using what he, the gifts and the talents that he's given us, the abilities that he's given us for his kingdom. What you have to offer might feel like it's insignificant, but I'm telling you it's valuable and vital to the kingdom of God. This week we, uh, we, we helped... And, and I don't do a great job sometimes of communicating with you guys on how much we are giving back to the community and what we're doing through, through your, your giving and through the Lord's blessing us. But this week we helped a, a lady with a, a single mom with a car to get repaired. Uh, it was a bill that she, she could not afford. It was a, like $1,085 to get it back on the road, get it going. And uh, we were talking about this and two girls overheard conversation that I was having with this guy that, that me and him were working it all out. And these two girls heard the conver- conversation. They went to their room and they came out and they opened up a a ziploc bag that, that had giving written on it. And one girl gave uh like two fifty and one girl gave nine dollars. I mean this is on a, a eleven hundred dollar bill, right? So insignificant, right? Nine fifty. Doesn't even touch it. But it's not about what you give. It's from the place that you give from. Because what happened in those girls' hearts and in their lives was that no longer is the flesh and greed going to be what determines their, business, their money decisions. But it's to give even when it seems insignificant. So many times we're so afraid to give because we think that it's insignificant i'll tithe when i when i'm making good money because that will really do something no all, all it does is continue to allow the enemy to operate in your finances oh I'm just a mechanic How, how can I do that like what, what do you mean give I'm just a mechanic like what man, you know one of the greatest needs we have is for young. Men, young women, to know how to change their own oil, how to change a tire. What? What if you said, "Man, I'm just a just a mechanic, but what I'd like to do is on Saturday I would like to to work on people's cars in the church and just y'all pay for parts and and we'll fix it." Or, man, I, I have a passion to just help these college age kids get out there and be able to change a tire. You 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 want to think that that's insignificant? That's so valuable. You're using a gift. And you're passing it on to somebody that would not have known it. And now they have something that they can pass on to someone else. I'm so busy. I just don't have time to serve. When we talk about, we're talking about giving of our time and our talents and our treasure. It's like, man, I'm so busy. I've got this, this, and this, this work, this, that. And what if you said, Lord, I'm so busy, but what can I, what can I give? And, and the Lord said, hey, what about 30 minutes during your lunch break? I want you to just pray for the church. Man, well, that's something I can do. Or, 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 well, I drive an hour to work every day. What if I just, Father, I I mean, I really like sports radio, talk radio. Like, what if I just turn that off and I'll just give you 30 minutes of that? And I'm going to pray for my church. I'm going to pray for my people. It can seem so insignificant because that's what the enemy wants you to think. If Jesus can feed 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish, He can do a whole lot more. Jesus' supply always meets and exceeds the demand. It can seem like so little and insignificant, but Jesus' supply always meets and exceeds the demand. Last point here. Jesus multiplies what we have. Verse 36 and 37, it says, He took the seven loaves and the fish, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. They collected the leftover pieces, seven large baskets full. Why is it important that we give no matter how small it is? Because he takes it and he multiplies it. His economy is not our economy. His bank account is not our bank account. Our time is not his time. He's able to do so much more There's a story in 2 Kings. It's probably one of my favorite stories. I say that every week about whatever story I tell, but it is really fun. There's there's this guy, uh, the prophet Elisha. He comes to this widow, and uh, she doesn't have anything, and she says, hey, the, the creditors are coming to take my two sons as payment. And Elisha says, man... Not going to happen today. He doesn't really say that, but that's how I picture him saying it. He's like, not going to happen today. He said, here's what I want you to do. She goes, I've just got a little bit of oil. He said, okay, I want you to go to, to your neighbor's house, and I want you to get jars. Don't, don't just get a few of them. Go to your neighbor's houses, all of them, and I want you to get all the jars. So they, they get all the jars in our house. And he says, I want you to pour it out. And she begins to pour from one jar a little bit of oil. And she pours and she fills up a jar. And she pours and she fills up a jar. And she pours and she fills up a jar. It says that the, she poured it all out until every bottle was filled. And she still had the same amount of oil that she started with. He said, now what I want you to do is I want you to take this and sell this. Your debt has been paid. He multiplies what we have. Why do we give? Why 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 do we serve him? Because he's able to do so much more with it than we are. He doesn't even play fair. You know, like, can you imagine the enemy? Like, here she is. She's done. I'm going to take her two sons. Her life's going to be crap from here on out because she's got no one to support her, no kids, nothing. Sorry, there are some kids in here. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Her life's going to be really bad. Uh, and Jesus, God's like, nah, man, it's cool. We got you. Like, can, can you imagine the enemy's face when he looks and she keeps pouring it out? Can you imagine his face when he brings all that stuff against you and you just keep on keeping on? He put Jesus on a cross that that the enemy thought he had won. And it says that Jesus held him up to public ridicule when he overcame him on the cross. He doesn't play fair. It says that he he can give us, he can bless us more than we can even ask or even imagine. Last story there's this girl. Her name is Hattie Mae Wyatt. She was born in 1886 or 1880. She went to church. She was six years old and uh, she was trying to get into church, into Sunday school. And it was too crowded. Everybody was in, it was a small church and she was trying to get in there and she couldn't and she was nervous about it and some other children were outside and the, the pastor picked her up threw her over his shoulder and walked her through all the crowd and sat down and they had Sunday school. After service that day, she, she saw him and they were walking home. He was walking into her, her house and she said, pastor, are, are, are we going to be able to uh, build a, a bigger Sunday school room? Because I'm really nervous when I have to go in there. And he said, Hattie, man, all we're, all we're waiting on is, man, we got plans for that, but we just need people to give money and then we're going to build something. And he admitted that. He goes, man, that wasn't even my vision. I just said something to a six-year-old girl, you know, because I didn't know what else to say. A couple weeks later, Hattie Mae Wyatt got sick. Her parent, her mom called the pastor said, would you come pray for my daughter? And he went over there and he prayed for her. She passed away. At the funeral, it said that uh, the mom went over to the pastor and said, hey, I found this in her stuff. It was 57 cents that she had saved up to build a bigger Sunday school room and I just want you to have this. The pastor took that and he, he exchanged it all into pennies. And he sold these pennies to the congregation. They were able to get $250. Now this is 1880, all right? That's a lot of money. $250, they go and they purchase a house that's big enough for the Sunday school. They outgrow that. Pastor goes to a place, he sees a lot of land. He's like, man, that's going to be it. He said, hey, how about $30,000? He goes to the owner and the owner says, $30,000. He's like, man, uh, we don't have that. So he comes back to him. He said, just hold it to us. hold on to it for five years. The the guy goes to him a month later and says, I'll tell you what I'll sell it to you for twenty five thousand. He said, Man, we still don't have that. He said, Well give me fifty-seven cents as a down payment. You can pay the rest off. They build they build a church that seats fifty six hundred people. This is nineteen hundred, okay? It's in Philadelphia. 5,600 people are able to go to that church. At that time, they started the university. It's called Temple University. It's, I mean, like, it's a legit thing. Their Division I school it competes in athletics. They have 30,000 average enrollment right now. They built two hospitals. They have a dentist school. They have law school, business school, all because of a little girl decided to give 57 cents. God is able to multiply. He doesn't fight fair, he doesn't play fair, he doesn't ask your opinion. Can you imagine the, being that little girl given all that she had and all that's come out of that. And why did she do it? Because she was moved with compassion. She wanted the bigger Sunday school room, not just for herself, but for other people. She said, there's too many kids on the street that can't get in there. Needless to say, it worked. They got a bigger one. What if we were moved with compassion? What what if we were no longer okay with the things around us being okay? What, what if we got sick and tired of seeing people hurt, broken, and in need? And we got to the point where we had to do something. Where it's like, man, I just cannot be here. Can I tell you what would happen? There'd be no widows and orphans. <laughs> the church would take care of them. I mean... There's the stat out there that says if one church, if every church adopted one kid, there'd be no orphans in the entire United States. One. So that, that means a church our size? And that means a church with 10, 20,000 people. One. Every church adopts one orphan. There'd be no orphans. You see, the, the need isn't too great. It's that we're okay looking past it. As long as I can pull into my three-car driveway, shut the gate behind me, live in my gated community. What if we read the word and believed it? Like, we didn't question it. We didn't say, man, there's no way that that could have happened. I mean, how, how in the world could he have done it? What if we read the word and go, man, I don't know what that's gonna look like tomorrow, but I, I I'm gonna read the word, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk it out. What if we just didn't read it with skepticism and, and fear and worry? And man, if I really read this and I really get a hold of it, man, what's the Lord gonna ask me to do? Right? How many people are afraid of that? I'm gonna read that. My heart's gonna break for the loss. What's he gonna ask me to do? What if we ran to Jesus in time in our time of need? What 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 if we put alcohol and tobacco companies out of business what what if we did that instead of contribute to it some would say Dr. Pepper but we're not going to talk about that right now we can run to that one and Jesus run to Jesus with a Dr. Pepper in your hand okay (laughs) but 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 what if what if we did that we we get mad at, at all the drugs coming across the border but if we quit buying it, what would happen? They would go somewhere else. What if we gave him everything? No matter how small. What if we lived a lifestyle that was open-handed that said, no, whatever I have, it's all yours. Not just for my use, but for your church's use, and not even just the church's, but anybody that I come into contact with. What if we gave room for miracles? What if we weren't so quick to try to fix it ourselves and we just said, Father, I don't know what to do here. I need a miracle today. Before we leave today, Kelly's going to come up and play. We're going to sing one more song. This is a, a time of worship where we allow the Holy Spirit to just lead us. I pray that the Lord has spoke something to you today. I pray that he... That's something stern inside of you where you're like, man, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. What we're going to do, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to just do that in us.